time for Coffee with the Chicken Ladies, a podcast for people who love chickens. Hey, everybody, and welcome. It's Chrissy and Holly from Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. We're here, and this is our special Merrick's Disease 101 episode where we talk about everything Merrick's. We drink a ton of coffee. I'm talking a ton, but most importantly, we hook chickens every day. And kiss them, too. Don't forget. We brew coffee from a little coffee house here in Bel Air, Maryland. Holly, what kind of coffee are we brewing today? Cinnamon vanilla. It's our favorite. It's delicious. And today we have a special guest. We are welcoming Dr. Rebecca back to our table to go over everything Merrick's with us because we thought it's time to bring in the professionals for this one. And it's a huge topic. So thank you, Dr. Rebecca, for joining us again. And welcome. Yeah, thank you guys for having me back. Merrick's disease is one of those things that we have to be aware of it as veterinary professionals. I will say it's probably the least favorite thing that I ever have to go over with with clients, but it's incredibly important. And I really think everyone needs to know about it because I have a lot of clients that come in and they've never heard of it before. And if you're a chicken owner, you need to know about this virus. So I think it's really good that we're going to cover it today. Before we jump in, how's everybody doing? How are you doing, Dr. Rebecca? Any interesting cases that you're having? I have seen quite a few in the last week. Actually, we saw um, Bluebell and yesterday that it's kind of a mystery right now. Um, Holly's chicken has some lameness, but hopefully with some pain medicine, she's going to do better. We didn't find anything majorly wrong, which is really important. Yeah. That's awesome that the x-ray was clear. Exactly. The other awesome thing is she does like Pillsbury biscuits. (laughs) You spoiled her. And Aunt Chrissy loves her and she loves her Aunt Chrissy now. She deserves it. I'll say unrelated to, I guess, my work, but with my flock, I have two little chicks, a California white and a blue lace red wine dot, which is actually what they said it was this time. Yay. So I'm excited. She's finally getting the lacing. <laughs> but I don't know about you guys, but whenever I'm integrating chicks, I have like a separate coop and I eventually want to put them in the mm-hmm. big coop. Yes. And I swear it takes me a week to teach them that all right, this isn't your home anymore. You go here now. Exactly. I only had to do it one night and they're good. They're in there. Awesome. I am very impressed with them. They're the smartest chicks I've had so far. That's fantastic. That's integration is easy integration. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. Generally, so it's that was exciting for me. So. That's yeah. awesome. And we saw your pictures on Instagram of the rooster that was rescued. That's oh my now gosh, a house yes. rooster. Is that Charlie, right? Yes, Charlie. He was amazing. He's he gorgeous. was, oh my gosh, he was an amazing rooster. So he loved to cuddle. It looked yes, like he would just lay kind of room. Yes, he would just lay in your arms like a baby. Yeah, <laughs> I think she said she found him like in Baltimore, just like watching the streets. Oh, wow. and he oh. lives with, I think, a cat and a dog, and he's just part of their household. That's really cool. That's amazing. It is. I actually have two rescue roosters who are Australian mixes. Great personalities, really huggable. We love those boys. So with me, just the same stuff. Gertie is doing amazing. Just to let everybody know, a little progress report on her. Trying to eat me out of house and home. She was fantastic. She is now like trying to put her head in the grubbly's bag. Mm-hmm. Oh, she gets in there sometimes. She does. And I'm yeah. like, girl. So she's just doing amazing. I just want to put that out there. Thank you for all the well wishes mm-hmm. and prayers for her. It's working. Yay. She does look fantastic. Her comb and waddles are a lot closer to where they were before she got sick. She just looks gorgeous. Yeah. So before we move on, take a second to ask everyone a big favor. If you're listening to our show and loving it, can you go ahead over to Apple Podcast and leave us a written review? It does amazing things for our show. It really does help us grow the podcast. If you're looking for other ways to support the show, you can check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash coffee with the chicken ladies. 
You can check out our levels of membership there. And thank you to our newest patrons. Yes. You can also visit our Etsy shop. We have some mugs and t-shirts on offer there. The other thing you can do to help support the podcast is buy products from our sponsors. Yay! We have some exciting news to share from our sponsor, Grubly Farms. From now until the end of October, you can receive 20% off if you're a first-time buyer. We have a special discount code for our listeners, COFFEE20, for 20% off your first purchase. You can follow the link in our show notes. This offer does not apply to subscriptions and cannot combine with any other offers. If you haven't heard, Grubbly Farms has a brand new layer crumbles food packed with plant and insect protein, perfect for those picky chickens and ducks. Plus, they're the perfect size for bantams and all products ship free. It's a great time to try Grubbly Farms if you haven't yet. Use the code COFFEE20. Try it today. Hey, Chris. Yeah. Do you like subscription boxes? Does it have anything to do with chickens? Of course. Then yeah. Let me just take a minute to tell everybody about the Chicken Love Box. If you love goodies for your chickens and you, you need to go to chickenlove.com. I love the Mega Box. Tons of useful products for my flock and a chicken tea for me. You cannot go wrong with these chicken teas. They are so soft and so cute. In the September Box, I absolutely love the rooster socks and the can of grasshoppers. It's amazing. I really love the Iron Trivet. I'm going to use it for all my entertaining, and I've got to keep the girls away from those chick notes for sure. Yeah. Boxes start at $39 a month. They ship immediately after your order, and shipping is always free. To receive $5 off, use the code CWTCL at checkout. It's such a great deal. Don't wait. Get off the nest and click already. That's chickenlove.com. That's chickenluv.com. Get your subscription today. Okay, so now we're actually going to start our conversation. We're ready to dive into Merrick's disease. It's not a happy topic, but Mm -hmm. what it is is something that we all need to know about and we all need to be educated on so that we know what to do in case we ever come in contact with it. And our chickens do. Right. It really is something that all chicken keepers should be aware of. So we're going to start off with just a little bit of history about the disease because you know we like to give you some context. So Merrick's disease was named after Josef Merrick. He was a Hungarian veterinarian and textbook author. He he discovered and recorded the disease symptoms in chickens. It may have been around longer than that, but he was the first to record the symptoms. He called it multiple inflammation of the nerves or polyneuritis in chickens. Interestingly enough, though, the actual cause of the disease wasn't discovered until about 1967, which was 15 years after Josef Merrick had died. It was about 1907 when he made the discovery and actually recorded the disease symptoms. He wrote a lot of veterinary textbooks. He authored several of them. And apparently he's also famous for inventing a nasal tube that is used on horses when they colic. It's called the Merrick tube. Okay. So if you look up history of Merrick's disease in a lot of places, you see him referred to as a physician, but he was a veterinarian. Okay. So here's the thing. 1907 to Mm -hmm. 1967, that's a long time to go from seeing symptoms to actually giving this thing a name and diagnosing it. Mm -hmm. You know, what was going on? Were these chickens just dying of causes that no one knew what they were? Yeah, that's essentially what was happening. Wow. That's crazy to me. And even once things like autopsies were performed, and in some cases I read that where they uncovered the nerves, they were swollen to at least three times their normal size. So they were aware of what was happening in the pattern, but just, I guess, hadn't figured the virus out or yet. Or hadn't labeled what it was. Right, know? Like right. said, okay, 
all these chickens are coming in with these things. Mm -hmm. It's time to put a name on it and say, this is what this is. Well, we'll probably get into this a bit more as Dr. Rebecca talks, but essentially in 1967, they at least isolated the virus, figured out how it worked. And then three years later, 1970 is when they developed the first vaccine. Okay. So we'll get into more of that as we go along. Probably what took them so long, too, as we'll find as we go through the symptoms, is that Mary's disease can cause all sorts of stuff. So what you're talking about with the nerve swelling, it's usually the sciatic nerve, which is why we see, we'll talk about the paralysis. So that's usually where we see that. And that's a hallmark sign. If you find that on a necropsy, that's probably Merrick's. And the sciatic nerve runs down through the spine. It runs down, kind of comes off the spinal cord around, it controls the hind legs, essentially. If you are actually looking at it, it kind of runs along the inner thigh. Okay. So that's a hallmark sign. However, you don't have to have that present in order for it to be Merrick's. It can also cause just tumors all throughout the body. There's different forms of it. So I think what's hard is it doesn't present the same way every time. So when you have all these chickens dying, but they all have different symptoms and findings on necropsy, I can imagine that's like impossible to kind of figure out what it is. And we still, to this day, still have issues diagnosing it definitively in a lot Mm -hmm. of ways. It kind of reminds me of human autoimmune diseases, fibromyalgia for one. Right. It affects nerves. It affects all these different things. But you have to eliminate all these different things first before Mm -hmm. you can come to this diagnosis. Yes, that's definitely correct. So it's kind of the same thing. I've read and I've heard, like, even skin issues can be part of Merrick's. Eye issues, everything. And the nerves affect the whole body. It can affect most of the symptoms in the bird's body. Right. So it's a hard one to pin down. For it's sure. tough. And it's tough today. So if you do have a chicken that comes in sick and they're in that age bracket where we see Merrick's, sometimes there's like clear signs like this is probably what it is. But I basically, if I can't find exactly what's wrong and your chicken's even just acting kind of sick, I have to have it on my list. So it's one of those things chicken owners do have to be patient with us diagnosing this because it, it presents in so many different ways. And sometimes it's very subtle signs because it can suppress the immune system. So it can just show up as just kind of a sick chicken, but there's not much else going on. Right. And unfortunately, at this time, there are tests to do while the bird is still alive, but most of these aren't being diagnosed until after they've already passed. In autopsy. Yes. Okay. So generally, you're seeing this in juvenile chickens? Is That's that correct? correct. Yes. Is there a particular age range? So, I mean, if you read like textbooks, they say you can see it as early as four weeks, which is crazy. Oh, wow. I don't wow. think they usually see it that early. It is possible to see it that early, but it's usually birds that are about like 16 weeks or younger. So kind of right before they start laying for hens. That being said, my rule of thumb is any bird under a year old, it's a possibility. Okay. It can happen in birds over a year old, but it's very unlikely they'll actually develop disease. So I've read that the mechanism is feather dander. So once they're hatched, they're clean, but they're exposed to it after they hatch. Oh, yes. That's, okay. And I think that's where, when we talk about the vaccine, I think that's why that first day of age is so important to vaccinate them. But yes, the main mode of transmission is through feather dander. So okay. chickens basically shed this virus, their dander. So as you might imagine, that's like everywhere. Yes. <laughs> and the contaminated feather dander can remain in the environment for months. So, wow. And they inhale it. So basically, if they inhale the feather dander infected with Merrick's virus, they will get it. And okay. so you can imagine how easy that is for it to happen. And it's microscopic. So you don't really know if it's happening. I heard it can also be passed in like bodily fluids, but I would say inhalation of feather dander is the most common way. And if okay. you have a huge hatchery, 
Yeah, that's that, that's how you're gonna be. That's why that could like be you said the one day yes. vaccination is so important. Yes, you can also vaccinate in the egg. So some hatcheries might actually vaccinate before the chick even hatches wow. and is exposed to any of that dander. Okay, that's amazing. That is good to know. So Merrick's disease is a virus, as we said, and it has several different strains. So the various strains are generally divided into two clusters. There's North American and the Eurasian Merrick's disease. And chickens can be resistant to different strains. And my example is the Swedish flowers and the Hedomora. Mm-hmm. And we'll link to this article, but essentially when Greenfire Farm imported the Swedish flowers and the Hedomora, the Hedomora were totally wiped out by North American Merrick's disease, where the Swedish flowers were extraordinarily resistant to it. Right. I just thought that was a fascinating thing. And that does come in play sometimes. There are chickens who are way more resistant yes. to the virus mm-hmm. than other chickens. And then there are the chickens that have a very low resistance. Exactly. For example, a silky. Right. When you say a, a breed that's susceptible, I think silky is the first one you think of. It is. According to Penn State's website, they have discovered that the leghorn and a lot of the other light-bodied, heavy egg-laying chickens are more susceptible. Okay. I'll link to that article so you can take a look at that there. The Egyptian Fayumi is the one that's known as the most resistant breed. Out of all the breeds. Out of all the breeds. I didn't take any chances, so I actually had mine vaccinated. I don't because blame you. I not, would have mine every right. single time. Now, my Swedish flowers, since I got them as pullets, their breeder chose not to vaccinate. Again, I would vaccinate them, even though they're known to be extremely resistant. Why well, taking <gasps> a chance? Exactly. That's how I feel. Exactly. And the vaccine totally is agree. very safe and... This is a horrible disease. I mean, especially when I see it in practice and basically give these chickens a death sentence. If you have the choice to vaccinate, absolutely do it every time. Yes. The Fayumis have a little bit of an interesting story that we'll tell really quickly. So in the 1940s, the Iowa University Dean of Agriculture was visiting Egypt. I guess he grew to like the Fayumis, thought they were interesting. Their disease resistance oppressed him. So he brought some hatching eggs home with him so he could study their remarkable disease resistance, including their resistance to Merrick's. So we profiled the Iowa blue chicken back in episode seven. Yeah. And since we did that episode, I've learned that the Egyptian Fayumis were used in the breeding of the Iowa blue. Which we did mention, actually. I thought we did. Well, I uncovered at that point that they were in one of the color variations, but apparently they were used as one of the base breeds for the Iowa blue, which explains why the Iowa blue has that gorgeous a silver color to exactly. it. I don't know that the Iowa Blue were more Merrick's resistant than any other breed, though. Really? There's no evidence that they... That their genetic there's material no evidence. went in and, and made them so resistant. No. It. <laughs> there's zero the evidence. super chicken Iowa Blue. But that's how the Egyptian Mayumi ended up in the U.S. so early and why. So it's just a little side story. Okay, so that brings us to the big question of the hour that a lot of people are asking. Should I vaccinate my chick for Merrick's? Why or why not? So this is why we have Dr. Rebecca here. We're just going to have her take it away. Honestly, I think it should be almost a requirement for hatcheries to have to vaccinate for Merrick's disease. Right now, it's a choice. If you buy from a hatchery, usually, especially if it's online, you can choose to add it on. And honestly, it's usually pretty cheap. I think it's like $3 or something like that. That's the most expensive we've ever seen is $3. It's usually one or two. That's a no-brainer to me. But I will say there's a lot, I think, of misconceptions Mm -hmm. about the Merrick's vaccine out there. The number one thing that I see, breeders and just chicken owners alike are concerned that the vaccine actually causes disease and that that chick can spread disease to their other chickens. They call it a leaky vaccine. So they are thinking about the first vaccine that was ever developed for a Merix vaccine. There are three different types of Merix vaccines. And the first one that was developed because, I mean, hey, science evolves. They were 
we're just glad to even have something in the first place. I don't have the statistics on how well it works because we do not use it anymore. But from what I understand, it could work, but it could also cause that chick to develop disease. Okay. You see that sometimes... Again, I'm not sure what type of vaccine it was, but like if you have a live versus yeah, live. like a live virus vaccine, right? That is something that can happen sometimes. And certain animals with certain immune systems, they might actually kind of succumb to that disease instead of actually being protected from it. Instead of building that immune system up to it, they're like, okay, they get it. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. So, so in that case, yes, it did used to be a leaky vaccine where you could have chicks not only get the disease from the vaccine, but then spread it. So right. the thing is that vaccine is not used anymore. So while I, I understand where people get that information, it is way outdated. It's old stuff. We right. don't use it anymore because why would we use a product like that? Exactly. Right. So what is most commonly used for backyard flocks today is actually the type three vaccine. Why this makes so much sense, why they developed this one instead and why it's so much safer is because this is actually the turkey herpes virus form of merit. So okay. since it's developed from the turkey strain, chickens are a completely different species. It does not affect them. It does spike the immune system for an immune response. Yes, I'm not a, like, I don't make vaccines. I don't know all of the nitty-gritty details, but essentially it still is enough in similarity to spike an immune response and provide protection, but it does not cause that chick to develop disease, and it certainly does not cause them to pass it on to others. So the note for everyone to realize is by giving a chick this vaccine, and then taking it back to potentially an unvaccinated chicken, you are not spreading merics. Right. Yeah, You're that's the bottom line. It. The vaccine that we're using for our backyard chicks and what hatcheries are using is the turkey strain, the type 3, right. that does not cause disease, and it also does not cause your chick to spread it to others. Exactly. So the vaccine, we know that we want all hatcheries to give it. Say a hatchery doesn't give it and you get your chick at one day old. Is there any way that you can purchase a vaccine and then go to a local veterinarian and have them give it? I would say yes. And this is something, again, I'm not in this industry. And if anyone listening to this could figure out a way to make this happen, Right now, I have a lot of issue about how the vaccine is made available. I would say we're still kind of in that transition phase where I think most of the products out there are for commercial hens and chickens. So many doses. Yes. It's crazy. So I actually, I did have some chicks this year and I actually did buy it myself because I wanted to have it. I have no history of Merrick's in my flock, but you can never be too careful. Exactly. So I have firsthand experience what this is like. Yes. The issue is the way that this vaccine is made and dispensed is one, it's not reconstituted. So basically you get a big bottle of liquid and you get this little bottle of powder and the powder is the vaccine. When you mix this stuff together, it will treat a thousand chicks. And I mean, that's great for hatcheries. If they have a huge operation going on, then of course it's going to be useful to them. And then how long is that liquid and the powder together good? Yeah. And that's the kicker, right? It's good for an hour. Wow. So to me, that is not, it's not useless. I mean, you can vaccinate a few chicks, but to me, that's incredibly impractical for backyard chicken owners to vaccinate their chicks. There's benefit to it for sure, but I feel like they're not being encouraged to purchase this vaccine because you're wasting so much of it. And if you read the directions, you're supposed to dispose of it by burning it. So it's like, I don't know what the answer to this is. While I think there's issues 
we can only vaccinate on day one. That's an issue in of itself. I think it has to do with how chicks are exposed to it. Mm -hmm. But I certainly think something can be done about how this vaccine Recon is. Reconstituted. Yeah. Like, can we get some smaller doses here so that it's more practical for backyard chicken owners? And there's a very, very real need for that. Simply because hatching at home has become far more common. Yes. yes. And given the vagaries of the postal service, honestly, people are not happy about shipping chicks. And I, and I understand that. So if you're hatching at home, yeah. you really need access to a smaller... And if you're not comfortable giving it, right. so you then go to your local veterinarian yes. and it's having them help, actually, because I can understand. Well, even if it was only made available in smaller amounts for a veterinary hospital, you yeah. at least could take your day-old chicks in and have them vaccinated. That would be an Agreed. excellent idea. Yeah. You know, and have that opportunity as chickens become more and more popular to general population to be able to go to the vet with a one-day-old chick right. and get the vaccine. Right. Right. Plus, the vet has a chance to look over the chick, mm -hmm. make sure everything's going well. This is where we go back to our episode, Finding a Vet. Yes. This would get you in the door day one. It literally would. day one <laughs> literally. and have a relationship with your veterinarian so that you do have that relationship. So whenever along the way something happens, your chick's a patient there. Another thing that is an issue that I think someone needs to figure out, Zoetis is the one I think that makes the vaccine we can purchase. I tried to purchase it through a distributor, and I can't buy just one bio. They want me to buy 10. Wow. So, again, I don't know why that's a Which, thing, but that's That the, would be 10,000 doses. Exactly. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and, I mean, I don't think I'm going to see 10,000 chicks, maybe, like, in my <laughs> lifetime. So, I just... Again, it's just impractical. I don't know. So I actually didn't even buy it through my distributor. There are websites that you can... I forget which one it is. I can look and we can add it, but... Dr. Rebecca, these chickens might be coming from far and near to see you soon. Right? <laughs> Everybody's listening to you. They're going to love actually, you. Actually, First State Vet Supply has it. Stromberg's Chickens carries it. Wow. Valley Vet Supply, Jeffers. Okay. I think I got mine from Valley Vet Supply. So, yes, you can purchase this. And, I mean, if you're not comfortable doing it, you can take it to a trusted chicken veterinarian. They would right. probably be happy mm -hmm. to do it for you. And I would say, I think I spent about $60 total, which I think that's affordable, especially if you have a lot of chicks you want to vaccinate. My biggest gripe is still, I don't need a thousand doses and I wish it lasted longer than an hour because I had chicks hatch this summer that I had a few hatch this day and a few hatch this day. Exactly. So I still encourage people to do it because I don't think it's financially prohibitive. Right. But I wish that there was a more practical way to you actually. You have one chick. Right. And then you get a dose for 1,000 chicks. It's yeah. like craziness. Yeah. And honestly, I think the price is more actually the shipping because I think it has to be overnighted with dry ice. I think it needs to be shipped exactly specifically right. that way. So it looks like most places are selling the vaccine for about $30. Yes. And then it's another and then you have to for have the shipping. shipping. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, totally doable, but yeah. like I said, if there's anyone out there that has any <laughs> any hand in the vaccine industry, if you could find a way to make yeah. this more practical for backyard chicken owners, I think that's a big issue in general. Even dewormers right now, it's all for commercial yes. farms. It's not for backyard chicken yes. people. So right. someone in the industry needs to figure out a way to make these things available to people as chickens become more popular. Yes, right. Definitely. I mean, because it's definitely hatchery-based right now, which mm -hmm. I see for sure. But like we've talked about, backyard hatching is huge. It's huge and right it's not now. going to go away. It's, it's not going not away. Going to go away. Mm -hmm. So these chickens do need to have the protection also. They do. That's why I really like the idea of it, you know, somehow in some way lasting longer and being able to go come to you and get it at one day. Yeah. And honestly, if it were more available for breeders, we know silkies are extremely susceptible. And just 
to be able to get that vaccine in the hands of silky breeders and not having to lay out this huge amount of money because they might have five clutches of chicks hatched in one week. So yeah, it really needs to be easier to use, more available. Zoetis is the maker? Zoetis is who I purchased it through when I okay. bought it. Okay. Yes. They're a big bat company. Big. Let's mm-hmm. switch over to say your chick was not vaccinated and now you have a sick chick. What kind of symptoms are you going to be seeing in this chicken? Merrick's disease can cause almost any symptom, which is very difficult when it comes to diagnosis. However, there are certainly some presentations where like, that's the first thing I'm going to think of. I would Mm -hmm. say the thing that you probably read the most about is when a chicken is suddenly having issues with one leg or both legs, but a lot of times it's one leg and they'll be pretty much paralyzed actually in that leg. And it can happen overnight. I've seen it happen where the owner comes in and says she was fine yesterday and all of a sudden she can't use her leg. And this is different from trauma. A lot of times if a chicken has an injury to the leg, they should still be able to like somewhat bear weight on it and Mm -hmm. kind of use it. Most Merrick's chickens, it's kind of limp or it could be stiff, but they aren't able to walk on it. They pretty much can't use it. So, so I would say that's they can't a feel it. Exactly. And that's that sciatic nerve enlargement that mm-hmm. they find on the, the inflammation. Yeah. Yes. And that's what's causing that. So that, I would say, number one thing, if a chicken comes into me that's under a year of age with paralysis of one of both legs, that's probably what I'm going to say it is. Okay. So when I brought Bluebell to you yesterday, and Bluebell has just been limping and laying down and not wanting to use that leg, one of the first things you asked me is, can she walk? Yes. Can she get up <laughs> and can she move? She just doesn't want to because she's in pain. Yes, and that's a huge sign there that you need to differentiate between is it an orthopedic thing or is this neurologic? Mm-hmm. And hers is clearly orthopedic because yes. she can get up <laughs> and run if she yeah. has to. Right, okay. <laughs> she was not vaccinated. As I said, I got her as a pullet. Yeah. So it's always in the back of my it's mind. It's always there because they do say under year of age is the time you're most going to see mm-hmm. it. But I have read from other specialists. I personally haven't seen it yet, but it can develop in chickens that are older too. Again, it's something it's got always got to be on your list, which is tough. We had an Americana, Carmelita, who developed a very strange eye, like her pupil almost collapsed and her eye went gray. Now, I made the mistake of asking people online what they thought this was. <laughs> And my vet said, you know better than to Google a symptom or to ask someone on a forum. And he's right. But he maintains that she was pecked in the eye. But because the iris went gray and the pupil altered, he said, let's test her for Marix. And so we went through Cornell and the test was removing feathers from what we would call her armpit. And so when it comes to testing, are there a lot of options out there? I'd say that's the hardest part is that there's pretty much one option. So when I see a chicken come in for Marix, if it's a sick chicken under a year old, I always have to have it on my list. What makes it very hard is that there's really only one test that we can do while the chicken is alive, and that's PCR testing. Usually the best sample is the feather because okay. you've got to get that feather follicle. That's usually where the virus the is shed. Exactly. I haven't seen Cornell pop up recently. Maybe okay. they used to do this. This testing. was a while ago. Okay. Obviously before you were my vet. So yes. <laughs> I would say right now I have sent out samples to Georgia is right mm-hmm. now the state lab that does have the ability to do this test. And I would say they're the real deal. It should be an accurate result when you get it. So that is an option. However, I will say the test is around a hundred plus dollars. Mm-hmm. So for some people, 
that's prohibitive for them, unfortunately, right, right. because that doesn't include the shipping either. I don't think it's super expensive because they're feathers. It doesn't have to be like specially contained or have special conditions to be shipped. However, sometimes just the price of that test is too much for people. Mm-hmm. So they might not go for it and we might not know. So the only other way, unfortunately, at this time is necropsy. necropsy. And of course, that kind of defeats the purpose of me trying to help these people figure out right. what's wrong with their chicken. Right. What necropsy will help with is knowing if you have a problem back in the rest of the flock. If you have Absolutely. a bunch of chickens who aren't vaccinated, then you're like, okay, where do we go from here? I'm going to backtrack just a quick second to symptoms again. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because yeah, because there's a lot more. Yeah. There are <laughs> a lot. so, so many symptoms. And we see a lot of people, and they have these immensely sick silkies. A lot of them have skin problems, skin. and my mm-hmm. brain just automatically goes to America. So I'm like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. Yeah, and I would say, cause we, I'll be completely honest, we don't see a lot of skin problems in chickens. No. So it's mm-hmm. just not something that happens that often. I think even people talking about lice and mites, I don't really see that kind of stuff cause skin disease unless it's horrific. Yeah. So I would say that that's probably one of the first things you should think of because what can happen is, the feather follicle where it's growing out, that area of the skin can actually cause swelling. And sometimes you can actually see like kind of, I think like the scabby material, like something is not bright with right. the skin. So that is a symptom. So that skin can, is part, yes, one of the symptoms. part of it. Something else, I mean, we've talked about nerves and the biggest one we think about is the paralysis of the legs. You can also, however, see crop issues. The crop right. is not emptying because that's obviously controlled by nerves. Yes. Sometimes they have a weak neck or just overall just seem neurologic. Yes. Um, if they're kind of wobbly when they walk or I know a lot of people talk about rye neck. Again, I don't think vitamin E is really an issue we see anymore with commercial feeds, but merics can cause weakness of the neck. So that's something too. So really anything that's innervated by nerves, which is pretty much every, and the the body. So yeah, and the the eye definitely, like you were talking about, the eye is a symptom and it can be affected because think about it, in your eyes, you have so many nerves. Right. And this virus causes inflammation basically across the board of all different types of nerves. That's right. It truly alters the appearance of the eye. I mean, again, we think Carmelita's eye was a pecking injury. Exactly. But it, the color of the iris changes. Yep. And usually they talk about the gray color. Yes. So, yeah. And I have also seen the pupil is kind of misshapen. Yes. It can look abnormal. That's exactly what hers looked like. Now, Dr. Wells said about 10 different times, I know you're worried about this, but she was pecked in the face. So it was pretty clear that she was attacked and it was an injury to yes. her eye. And I'll say, too, I, it's something to be aware of, but I do have a few chickens that have maybe like a black dot somewhere on their mm-hmm. eye. It might make the pupil look weird. And yeah. just because there's something abnormal about the eye does not automatically mean right. this is what you have. I would say that is a symptom that can appear. I think a lot of times you're more likely to see them also being sick and also showing mm-hmm. other symptoms. Because right. one of the other things that I think makes this hard to diagnose is sometimes it just causes either immunosuppression, meaning they're just more prone to getting sick other ways. It can also cause a diffuse lymphoma, which can cause tumors to form all throughout the body. And that can be hard to pick out. I mean, you might see it on x-rays. I might be able to feel it like on a vent exam, but sometimes if it's higher up under the rib cage, we might not be able to feel or see that until again on necropsy. And that could just cause an overall just, yeah. they are losing weight. They don't want to eat. They're acting sick. So it can be tough to diagnose because and sometimes that's it's the, subtle. That's the big symptom that we didn't, that we're just now bringing up is the tumors. Yes. The tumors are a huge thing also. Mm-hmm. And like you said, that's going to cause a chicken to look just not well. 
and you can't always diagnose. Here's a question. Can you ultrasound the chicken or with, is not helpful? I would say I haven't tried my hand that much at ultrasounding chickens. The probe I have, it's made for cats and dogs more. Even right. like the smaller probes, it's hard when you're starting yeah. to look in there to know what you're looking at. And yeah. I have asked radiologists actually in our area if they do chickens and they don't. So, yeah. <laughs> so I mean, no. for me at this, at this point in time, for me personally, X-rays can be helpful. I can't be 100% sure, but right. usually you'll see things that just don't look right. A bunch of like rounded areas in the belly that don't seem right. And I do think the most valuable thing as a chicken vet that I'm able to do is usually that internal vent exam. I might be able to feel some abnormalities there. And once again, we go back to having the relationship with a veterinarian, able to do these exams and know exactly what they're looking for. Because you could say, well, I can do a vet exam, but you're not going to know what you're feeling right. unless you're trained. So, yeah, it just goes back to where I keep saying, why can't we just, for people who are hatching at home, do one day, go to the vet, and hey, we're not even going to be worried about, let's abolish Merrick's disease. It's it's horrible. I mean, just but, the fact that it's causing, it can cause paralysis and cancer, essentially. I think it's one of the worst things as a veterinarian across species that I deal with on a regular basis. This is by far the worst disease that I have to deal with. And unfortunately, it's out there in the environment. It's what they call endemic. So, I mean, it's it's out there. Right. So, we're not going to get rid of it just by eradicating the environment. It's yeah. very hardy. It can live in the soil. It can just persist in that feather dander for months. So, you have that issue. It's very contagious because they inhale the dander, get infected very easily. So, that's another bad thing. You don't like contagious diseases. We have the aspect that it's hard to diagnose while the bird is alive. It can be done, but I don't see most people, again, going for it. And we currently only have one state lab that performs it. Mm -hmm. So diagnosis is hard. There's no treatment for it. My next question was, we have a sick chicken. We sent it out to Georgia. We get that positive. What happens at that point? Yeah. So, I mean, of course, if you have that positive test, I guess you support like them. Hospice care. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Hospice care, supportive care. And of course, if someone getting that diagnosis would rather euthanize at that time before it gets really bad, I also think that that's appropriate. Right. What's tough if you don't diagnose it. I have here me giving this chicken a death sentence when I'm not 100% sure it's Merrick's. And that, that to me, is very hard as a vet to make that call. Yeah. Because chickens get other diseases, too, that can cause, again, if it's the kind of that subtle, just not acting quite right, it's hard for me to be like, well, this could have could be, there's no treatment for it, be on your way. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? So getting that diagnosis is certainly helpful. But a lot of times, if there's those telltale symptoms and I will sometimes offer treatment like anti-inflammatories or antibiotics as kind of a Hail Mary to see if this is something else. It's like sub-Q fluids in chickens. Yeah, sometimes. and of course, if they're not feeling well, we can do sub-Q fluids. If we need to offer liquid feedings, we can do all of that kind of stuff. I think something that's important to note about Merrick's is that it does not get better. So right. it will not show signs of improvement and they ultimately will just get worse and worse. Okay, so let's then go... Unfortunately, something happens and now we have our chickens or we want to get new chickens. What do we have to do for the environment to make it safe for the next batch of chickens that are going to come in? I try to tell people uh, this is something I see commonly. And I, of course, if we diagnose it, people are kind of like, man, I don't want to do this anymore. This is horrible. Yeah. So I try to tell people if you have a Merrick's case that has been diagnosed in your flock, it is not over. There are things that we can do. So, I mean, number one, I always recommend any new chickens you're bringing in, make sure they're vaccinated. That's yes. definitely number one. Because most of the time, people have established flocks. 
Yes, I assume you could choose to get rid of all of them, but that to me is not usually what people would want to do. Right, exactly. So, because the thing is, even if chickens are not showing any signs of disease, by the time you have one in your flock, they've all been exposed to it. They just might never get sick. I have read that they think, fortunately, of chickens that get exposed to this virus, it seems to be maybe 10 to 20% that actually get sick from it, which as far as diseases go, I mean, fortunately, that's a little on the lower side. I've seen other veterinarians report in certain flocks, though it can be as high as to 40 to 60. So it's kind of, it's hard to predict that. But fortunately, it does not mean all your chickens are going to die. Right. You can clean up the environment in a way. I think what's hard is it can be in the soil. So that might be tough. But for example, if you like get a coop from someone else, I think is a good thing anyway, just for disease. But Marix is a virus. So actually bleach concentration, stuff like that, fortunately, are enough to... That is a very good point that I didn't think of until you just said it. And I just got a coop from a friend. Right. I know that he had his chickens vaccinated. But so many people go on Facebook Marketplace or wherever and look for for chicken coops (laughs) that people don't want anymore. That is an excellent point. You do Mm -hmm. not know what these people did with their chickens. Right. They need to be fully cleaned out everything before you put your chickens in that coop. Yeah. So you can clean up the environment as best as possible. In many ways, this is a horrible disease, but it's not like this super virus that can't be inactivated. It by reminds me of the lead. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. It is a yeah. lot like that. And I mean, it's a horrible thing, but we can control it and take measures to try to, if you're starting fresh, maybe try to eradicate it. But I think the most important thing to realize is if your flock has this, you can still raise chickens. You can still have them. You just have to be aware that if you do have ones that are not vaccinated and you know that there's been cases in your flock, there is a chance they get to get sick. And unfortunately, the vaccine is not 100% either. I mean, some individuals can unfortunately still develop the disease. Mm -hmm. It's much less likely and it can also be less reduce the severity of the disease. Exactly. Something I know that comes up is a lot of people ask, should I vaccinate my chickens anyway, even though they're like a year old? Is it going to hurt them? Is it worth doing? The answer I have found across the board is pretty much no, because basically, I think what we kind of talked about earlier, when chicks are on day one, they haven't been exposed to it at all yet. But since basically inhalation is how they're exposed to it, again, you don't know where your chicken might be exposed to it. Some experts just assume that all chickens have it because it's so spread in the environment. Unfortunately, if you do try to vaccinate after that day one, there's pretty much just like no guarantee that they haven't already been exposed to it. In that case, the vaccine is not going to do anything protective for Mm -hmm. them. Their own immune system at that point is probably the one protecting them if they never develop disease. We've had people, a lot of people ask us that question. So I'm so glad that you cleared it up. Yeah. One of my friends is actually a state veterinary poultry person, and she said it, the only time that it might be useful is if you vaccinate day-old chicks. It might be useful to booster that As in a booster. two to four weeks. Oh, okay. So that's the only point in which I have heard a booster might be a good idea, but um, definitely not that first vaccine. It has to be at one day. Mm-hmm. Yes. I've asked her about this a lot. And I mean, in most experts' opinion, vaccinating your chickens after you've passed that time frame is probably not going to do anything. You're welcome to try it. It's not going to hurt them, but it is right. probably a waste of resources and money. Can you tell us a little bit about the other vaccine? You said there were three available. Yes, I can tell you a little bit about them. (laughs) 
basically from what I have read a lot about the vaccines, like I said, the first one that was developed was that type one, Mm -hmm. which basically the serotype one is what causes disease in chickens. And that's what they made that vaccine from. Okay. So yeah, it could cause disease. So they pretty much ditched that one. Yeah. There is a second vaccine. I'm not as familiar with it. I think it's used more for commercial flocks because there's something about the handling of that vaccine that is incredibly specific. I think it has to be I don't think it's even dry ice. I think it has to be in those like nitrogen coolers. Oh, or something. Wow. So wow. I don't know a lot about it, but I do know that the way that it has to be handled makes it completely impractical for hatcheries or backyard people. I think it's it's strictly commercial. The one that we use for backyard flocks and hatcheries, I believe you can use in ovo in the egg. Mm-hmm. So I read that basically any time after incubation day 18, they think the immune system has developed enough by okay. that point that you can vaccinate those eggs. So it oh, does, wow. if you think about it from vaccinating in the egg, I've never done it personally. Mm-hmm. I don't know how it's done, I'm sure. Right. You have to candle the egg. Basically. Yeah, so that's the thing. It's kind of like. I've given so many tiny <laughs> animals shots, but oh. the thought of going in an egg and not yeah, really I've never it done it, but that is a way that you can do it. And if you think about it that way, it gives you a little more of a time frame because yeah. you had them from like day 18 and usually they hatch around like day 21. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then you have the day one. So yeah. a little bit more of a time frame there. But yes, that's a lot of ways some hatcheries might do it. I think commercial flocks. I was curious about how it's administered because we were looking into the coccidiosis vaccine. Yeah. And that one is a spray. Since I don't do commercial flocks, right. I don't know the answer to that. I'm sure that would be easy for us to look Yeah, up. yeah, I'm sure we can look it up. And I can list any resources we find in our show notes. Yeah, This is sure. an episode where people are probably going to want to go back and read a lot of things. Yeah. So we'll include uh, links to everything. Certainly, if if enough new questions come in, we can always like follow up. Oh, so yeah, too. for sure. Something we did not discuss and we don't have to get into, but I think an important point to make is Merrick's disease actually has a counterpart disease that can look very similar, which okay. is avian leukosis. And you okay. might hear that okay. be brought up a lot. The general understanding that you need to know as a chicken owner is avian leukosis pretty much can look exactly like Merrick's because it causes tumor formation. Usually you're going to see that in chickens that are over a year of age. So there's kind of a distinct time frame in between the two of those. I think avian leukosis cannot happen in birds under four months of age. Okay. So that's something you might see come up if you read about Merrick's. This avian leukosis can look exactly like it. And the only way to differentiate is by PCR. And yes. to be completely transparent, I think the state lab, when they're doing necropsies, they usually are looking for signs of Merrick's. And a lot of times it's the tumor formation, the nerve enlargement. Right. And a lot of times they might take biopsy samples and look at it under the microscope to look for that lymphoma that occurs. Avian leukosis and Merrick's can actually look exactly the same on necropsy. So if you really need to know which one it is, you probably have to follow up and ask them to do a PCR on it if they're willing to. So So you might even in the end have to do the test. Yeah, exactly. To me, it's almost better to know beforehand. Yeah, for sure. That's just my personal opinion, especially if you have a flock and you want to know what you're dealing with. Sure. To do that test, it's money well worth it to know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We want to thank you so much for coming and sitting down with us. 
and talking about this. We think this is going to be an awesome episode yeah. for everyone. And like we said, our one-on-one episodes are different from right. our weekly episodes. This is basically all information, everything you want to know about this. And we thought it was big enough to do a 101. I stand by it. Yes. So listen to it. Look out all the links. Look up everything we're putting out there. And you yeah. please feel free to forward any questions, anything Back else. Back to us again. Yeah. And we'll, we'll do our best to get answers to you. But no, For this sure. is an excellent episode to do. I think people can make their whole career on this disease. I mean, there's yeah. way more that we could probably talk about in just one episode. But we're just scratching the surface I, right now. Exactly. But I think a lot of information. And again, if you are a chicken owner, you need to know about this virus. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Or if you're about to buy, we have so many listeners that are like, we're going to get chickens. Mm -hmm. We want to catch you before you put that order in. Hit yes for that vaccine. Absolutely. Because it's safe and it's it's not going to give, if you have unvaccinated chickens, it's not going to give them disease. And again, it's just, it's one of those things as much as I would love to adopt every chicken in the whole world, you never know if you're going to have a Merrick's carrier. So when I see patients in the hospital, even if they're not sick, We disinfect that entire room between chicken patients because it's so contagious. When I come home, if I've seen a chicken that day, I don't care how good that chicken looked in that room. I do not see my chickens. I go and I change and get rid of all of the the clothes I was wearing before I go see them. That's just good biosecurity practice. Exactly. For sure. Okay. Well, thank you one more time. We love our days with Dr. Rebecca when she comes in. We always have lunch, we chat, and then we sit down at the table, and it's so much fun. Yeah, no, you guys spoil me, and I, like I said, <laughs> I can talk chickens all day, so I'm always happy to be here. Okay, so what should we tell everybody to do? Hug your chicken. Every day and kiss them, too. Don't forget, we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. <laughs> if you'd like to see more of us, please follow us on Instagram at Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. If you'd like to help us grow the podcast, please leave us a written review on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, please visit our Patreon page, patreon.com slash coffee with the chicken ladies. Thanks for listening.